The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good afternoon, Raleigh. You're listening to this week's Eye on the Triangle on WKNC FM Raleigh. It's February 17th, and the time is 4.03. And on behalf of the team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Ian Grice. And I'm Mirtha, and I'm Mirtha Donastorg, bringing you Eye on the Triangle on this fine day. Nick Weaver brings you Modest Mouth Review. This week he reviews Holding On, Holding Out, the newest album by Boston indie band Tall Heights. And Jake Winters brings you Snowverated. This week he reviews the post-apocalyptic thriller The Survivalist. Marissa Jordan brings us a breakdown of the North Carolina congressional districts and what that might mean for the March primaries. And Akita Chintalapudi has the poetry corner. This week she talked to psychiatrist and poet Dr. Elizabeth Jackson. Cameron Dolacek has our newest segment, Explain It to Me Like I'm 88. He's talking to Stephen Caradini, a graduate student at NC State, researching how independent artists and musicians fund themselves nowadays. And KNC goes TMZ with Jamie Hollis' look at this week's in pop culture. Kevin Cronk takes a look at the news around North Carolina, and as always, we'll have community calendar from Peter Svizeni. But right now, let's take a look at the weather with our newest contributor, Michael Ashburn. Thanks, Nick. Expect a low of 33. Thursday and Friday will be similar to today, with highs in the mid-50s and lows in the 30s. However, get ready for warm weather this weekend, with partly cloudy skies and temperatures in the mid to high 60s and lows in the upper 40s. With wet, with the weather for Eye on the Triangle, this is Michael Ashburn. State Land Trust work to maintain visual beauty of state. On an average morning, thousands of North Carolinians wake up to the sight of a dusting of snow on area mountaintops. And while individuals can own much of the land, the state's 25 land conservancies are working to protect their views for everyone to enjoy. They're guided by the principle advocated by Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said in his essay, Nature, None of Us Own the Landscape. Pam Torlina with the Pacola Area Conservancy says everyone owns the view. They do belong to us. Such a big part of our sensory experience is visual. So by protecting these places, it protects the signature of our rural communities. Land conservancies in North Carolina have protected tens of thousands of acres of land with the help of public and private funding. The Pacola Area Conservancy is actively working to preserve land in Polk County that had previously been considered for a land development that would have changed the landscape. Late last month, 
the Conservation Trust for North Carolina purchased 75 acres in Allegheny and Surrey counties to protect views on the Blue Ridge Parkway. Peter Barr with the Carolina Mountain Land Conservancy says it's often the views that tie people's emotions to the region. It's something that you can look at from any mountaintop or any overlook and you essentially feel that attachment to this region and you feel that sense of ownership and belonging of of what you love most. Torlina says the scenic vistas that bring visitors to the state and bring joy to residents are taken for granted until they disappear. They are so important to, you know, the peace and tranquility that we always find in a place when it's taken away, it ruins it for us. Sadly, a lot of times the developers move so much quicker than land trusts can. Torlina adds that in addition to protecting the views by conserving land, land trusts such as hers protect water resources and native plants and wildlife. More money could be on the way for processing rape kits in North Carolina if President Obama's 2017 budget proposal survives the contentious federal budgeting process. Unlike other states, North Carolina does not require that law enforcement agencies track the number of rape kits collected, but most states have a backlog. Eels Connect with the Joyful Hearts Foundation, a group sponsoring an End the Backlog initiative, says the federal money would go a long way toward increasing justice and community safety. When these kids sit on shelves untested, these serial rapists remain undetected. These rapists commit all kinds of crimes. They don't just commit sexual violence. They commit burglary and robbery and homicide. Last year, Fayetteville was awarded more than $360,000 to address its testing backlog for rape kits. Since then... Fayetteville police have charged one man with a 2010 rape after DNA linked him to the crime scene. In another case, a prison inmate was linked to a 2006 sexual assault case. Connect says some of the funding would support programs to help victims who discover their attacker has been caught as a result of rape kit testing. Every rape kit represents a sexual assault survivor, and each one of those survivors deserves to be supported through the process of re-engaging with the system so that we're not doing more harm when we ask them to come back into the justice system so many years later. Public records requests made by the Joyful Heart Foundation found Charlotte has at least a thousand untested kits. Connect says her organization has filled similar requests to obtain information about possible backlogs in Durham and Raleigh. The health of North Carolina's children has the potential to impact the state for generations to come, and this year the state is getting mixed reviews for its efforts. NC Child issued its annual report card Tuesday, tracking 40 areas of child health. While the state has seen improvement in hospitalization rates for asthma, insurance coverage, teen births, and immunization rates, there is room for improvement. Specifically, Rob Thompson with the organization says the state needs to attend to the more than 320,000 parents who lack health insurance. If we want to make a difference in the lives of children, we should invest in the health of parents. That goes all the way up to state and federal governments. I think one of the things that we can do in North Carolina is close the health insurance coverage gap. The uninsured rate for children reached an all-time low of just over 5%, but Thompson and others believe the remaining 119,000 uninsured children would have a better chance at enrollment if their parents were eligible for health coverage. 
States that have expanded Medicaid and closed the coverage gap for adults have seen increased enrollment for children. Infant mortality in North Carolina has stagnated, according to the report, after declining for the last two decades. Thompson explains that largely has to do with getting mothers regular health care before they become pregnant. The healthier both parents are going into a pregnancy, the more likely it is that that baby is going to be born healthy. The higher percentage of births are happening with mothers who didn't receive any or received late prenatal care. So that's a really important statistic because it shows that too many women in our state are not getting the care they need. The report card also found that 1 in 10 babies are born to North Carolina mothers who smoke. Experts say that children of parents who smoke have worse birth outcomes, get sick more often, and are more likely to smoke themselves. This has been a North Carolina News Service announcement. I'm Kevin Kronk, and this is Eye on the Triangle. As of February 2016, the North Carolina congressional lines created in the 2010 census were ordered to be altered by federal court. Lawmakers stated that a new map must be drawn up before the March 15th primary election. The state legislature has been accused of drawing the congressional lines based on racial and political reasons. The districts in question are Districts 1 in eastern North Carolina, held by Democratic Congressman G.K. Butterfield, and 12, which includes Charlotte, Winston-Salem, and Greensboro, held by Democratic Congresswoman Alma Adams. Technically, these are the only two districts ruled unconstitutional, but most of the other districts will have to be altered too. It is also speculated that the late Supreme Court Justice Scalia's death could have an effect on the congressional district's case. Analysts say that his death could delay the March primary and his potential replacement could cause a four-to-four standoff with the other justices. Marissa Jordan for Eye on the Triangle. Hi. My name is Cameron Dolacek, and this segment is Explain It To Me Like I'm 88, where I bring PhD students from around NC State to come explain their research in a way that people who are unfamiliar with the field will understand. Right now, WKNC is in the middle of our double barrel benefit event. Last Saturday, we had our first night, which was pretty awesome, and this Saturday, we have our next night at Cat's Cradle, and these events are how we raise money for the station. And so because of that, I thought it'd be great to bring in Stephen Caradini to explain his research. I'm Stephen Caradini, and I'm a PhD candidate in the Communication, Rhetoric, and Digital Media program in CHAS. I brought in Stephen because he studies how independent artists and musicians fund themselves and make money in the modern day. Stephen, what led you to this field of study? I started working on independent music business stuff when I was in my teens. I started a blog called Independent Clauses, partially out of boredom and partially out of a desire to get more free music than I could at that time. Uh, In the early 2000s, it was either Napster or Buy It All. And so I decided to go a third route and get people to send it to me for free. And I just kind of caught the independent music bug from there. And I have done everything from play in bands to manage bands to book tours to put out zines and everything in between. And so as I continued my academic career through a journalism degree and then a journalism stint being an art journalist and then through a technical communication degree where I confused them by deciding to study bloggers instead of technical communication, 
Um, I finally ended up at a program that was like, yeah, cool. You should definitely study independent music. That would be awesome. And that's kind of how I ended up at this program. You get to study independent bands and musicians. What more specifically is your research? So I'm interested in how independent musicians, uh, particularly ones that aren't on major labels or employed by major orchestras, are able to make careers for themselves. My research focuses on how they use professional communication like Facebook, email, databases, all these sorts of things that people use to do professional communication to go on tour and to make money. And so the problem is that when you get a four-year degree in a conservatory or even in a music business program, there's a lot more writing that has to be done um, than is taught in those departments. And so I want to do some research and say, hey, there's there's writing here that people need for uh, being a musician and being a professional musician. And here are some of the genres that they use and the activities that they need to know how to do. Musicians now use all these websites that require new forms of communication and representing themselves. But how do you actually study this? So I do a lot of interviews. I talk to musicians about how they conduct their career. What do they do all day? How do they write? What are they trying to accomplish when they're writing? What are the goals that they're seeking when they set out to post on their Facebook or to send an email? When I analyze it, I'm looking for how do they understand what activities they're doing and how do they have problems with those activities? What are some ways that we can fix those problems theoretically, but also in the classroom? So perhaps you don't get very good responses when you're sending out email requests for gigs. Well, let's look at your email. Are there ways that we already know about that you can fix? Or is there some theoretical problem that we haven't understood yet that occurs somewhere in the system that we can help you fix? That's kind of where I want to go with my research is how do we help you solve the problems that you have as an independent musician? I'm interested in indie rock musicians as well as classical musicians. And so I'm doing some comparing and contrasting between the ways that those two types of musicians do their business. There's also some document analysis. So part of the interviews, I talk to musicians as they're looking at something they've written. And so I'm able to talk about with them, okay, what were you doing when you wrote this? Why did you want to write it this way? What were you hoping to achieve? So there is some document analysis as well, but primarily I'm looking at the documents as supplementary to the interviews and what the musicians actually have to say about what they're doing when they're writing. Thus far, what have you learned from conducting this research? So it's still early in my dissertation research, but one preliminary finding is that musicians who are working to have careers are replacing some of the organizational attributes that they would get from a record label with doing it all themselves. So the DIY ethic is perhaps not as common as it used to be in terms of people saying, I'm DIY, but in practice... Almost every independent artist has some aspect of DIYing it. And so the 
things that an organization would do for them, like a record label or a symphony orchestra, these musicians are taking all of them on, all of it on themselves and becoming mini experts, mini specialists in a wide array of things, promotion, booking, graphic design, lots of things that even freelancers might contract out things to other freelancers if they don't know how to do them. Musicians just learn how to do it themselves. That's really unusual in the organizational sort of structures of business. You said you focus on indie rock and classical musicians. What have you learned about indie musicians and how they work? So the indie rock interviews that I've done so far have been really interesting in terms of how people frame what their goals are for a career. So in the 90s, even in the early 2000s, getting rich and famous and being on the radio was a big deal. And for these artists that I'm talking with, a lot of them just really want to make a living. They really want to be just able to make enough money to not have to do some other job. And a lot of them are working towards that in very honest, earnest, hardworking ways. And so there's a a shift been going on for a long time, but I think it's going to keep on going that the idea of the rock star is just not as strong as it used to be. And I think people really are starting to treat being a musician as a vocation as opposed to being some sort of entertainment spectacle or lottery winnings. How does indie rock compare to the classical musicians? So I haven't started doing the classical musician interviews yet, so I can't give you that information, but I will let you know when I do. (laughs) Sounds great. Thank you, Stephen, for coming in for this interview for Explain It To Me Like I'm 88. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me in. My name is Cameron Dolacek. Thank you so much for listening. Last week, at the Rework Virtual Assistant Summit, Microsoft announced that its virtual assistant software, Cortana, Microsoft's version of Siri, will be programmed to stand up to any sexist talk from its users. Meaning that if someone says something rude to Cortana, she will reply with a noticeable irritation in her voice and will refuse to be subservient. At the same conference, Ilya Eckstein, CEO of Robin Labs, stated that her company has determined that there is a demand for a virtual assistant that is more intimate slash submissive with sexual undertones. This is 2016. On a more local focus, NC State student Mike Fuller lost the bet in his fantasy football league and thus had to spend 30 hours straight in a Waffle House. He completed this task over the weekend and said he was having fun making friends, eating waffles, and drinking coffee. I can't say that sounds like a bad time, truthfully. Maybe I'll try it out at IHOP if Night 2 of Double Barrel Benefit sells out. Buy your tickets Double Barrel Benefit Night 2. This past weekend, Deadpool, starring Ryan Reynolds, was released and made $132 million in box office sales. This broke the record for most money an R-rated movie has ever made, beating out Fifty Shades of Grey, which made around $85 million last year. Hopefully it's better than Fifty Shades of Grey. The foul, raunchy superhero movie will probably change the future for superhero movies, as studios won't be as scared to push the boundaries with violence and language now. Meanwhile, Zoolander 2, the sequel to the 2001 movie starring Ben Stiller, failed miserably, both critically and in the box office, only taking home a little over $20 million. In music news, the Grammys were Monday night and featured performances from Taylor Swift, Kendrick Lamar, 
Alabama Shakes, and Lady Gaga doing a tribute to the late David Bowie. Kendrick Lamar swept the rap categories with songs from his album To Pimp a Butterfly. Megan Trainer took home the Best New Artist Award over indie favorite Courtney Barnett. Taylor Swift was the big winner of the night, winning Album of the Year for 1989. She took home the award over strong competition including Alabama Shakes, Kendrick Lamar, Chris Stapleton, and The Weeknd. This was Taylor Swift's second Grammy for Best Album, making her the first woman ever to win two Grammys for Best Album. Many thought the award was a lock for Kendrick Lamar, who arguably released the most important album in terms of social awareness and musicality. My mom thought it was going to be The Weeknd with his excellent album Beauty Behind the Madness. Where the case is, music is subjective and it is important to congratulate Taylor Swift while still acknowledging the mark that Kendrick Lamar's album has had on the music world and society in general. This has been Eye on the Triangle, and I'm Jamie Halla, and I'm now signing off. Everyone has a story to tell, but how they tell it differs. Whether you're a poet, spoken word artist, singer, an actor, a musician, everyone has that story to tell. And here is the place to tell it. Welcome to Poetry Corner. Hey guys, this is Nikita. Today on Poetry Corner, we are joined with Dr. Elizabeth Jackson. She practiced for 15 years as a therapist and a researcher and then took a break from practicing to study poetry at NC State, where she received her Master of Fine Arts. She currently practices psychology in Raleigh, North Carolina, and continues to write and publish poetry. Dr. Jackson, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you and for inviting me. Uh, so today she's going to read us a couple of her poems. The first one, I believe, is called Winter, which is very appropriate for the weather we're having right now. I walked here and got a little covered in snow. Winter. Lake Michigan's sky, the color of dried bones. Nighttime, a raccoon stares you down from the throne of your black trash can. And you retreat to the TV some reality show that makes you laugh, forget your day, slogging through the gray maze of cubicles, emails marching down the screen like ants. You dream of Key West, pie and margaritas, anything green. You'll stand at Mallory Square, shirt whiffling in the breeze and lip salt from the rim of your cup. Drink in the antics of acrobats and mimes, the happy shrieks of children who chase and lunge, tag and run. You smile at the mother next to you, the sun a promise on the horizon. Hanging on. I had to tell him that I was leaving town, that our therapy sessions would end. And like a beetle on its back, he flailed on the floor, fighting to right his world kicking his heels against thin-piled carpet and cement, his little boy blue jeans stiff and one size too big, hid the skin that puckered from his father's pitch of boiling water, and the burns on his arms had darkened like shadows. His father had once dangled him at their fifth-floor apartment. The boy saw pavement, his future. And now he hurls the anatomical dolls, snatches the tiny play mom from her house and stares at the blank ceiling of my office. H is for the harried, 
Me, who hurries to meet Harold, who owns a shop my mother might call a haberdashery, if she liked him. Instead, she harangues, her words echoing, the house empty, a hole too wide to fill. I hang on to this half-ladder, one my father might have climbed, to paint the house a new color of sameness. Do you believe that H holds more meaning than G, that moving on leads to improvement, like moving out, dating someone new, or settling in for the next therapy session? Sometimes H seems like stasis, heredity, the railing stretched between two vertical beams on the family's front porch, or the bar in those old westerns where the loner tethers his horse to the only comfort he knows, eventually unhitching his steed to ride over scrub, thirsty for a new landscape, or at least another town, a fresh watering hole. My past seems long as a century, and I gallop toward the horizon, aiming for I. Thank you so much for reading those, Dr. Jackson. It was, it was lovely. Um, I know that some of those, especially hanging on, sort of relate to your work as a psychologist. Would you say that that frequently plays into your poems? How do you really draw on those experiences when you write? It's unusual for me to write about clients, but I think what I learn as a person in my interactions, you know, with others in my everyday life and my clients, that influences what I choose to write about. And that moment that happens between people or that sort of realization that you're in love or that you've hurt someone, Mm -hmm. those moments are what are most interesting to me. And I think poetry helps you capture that better than any other art form. What is it about poetry that sort of, I guess, drew you to it as a way to express those feelings and experiences and moments? It's economical and it's beautiful. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's just in a very small space, you can just create this explosion of music and emotion and thought. I mean, the beauty of it is that you don't lock it down. If you write a research paper... The idea is to funnel all the information to a definitive point. And poetry is just the opposite. It's to start small and to end up in a place where it can mean many different things to a person, but it's still really resonant. Yeah, I I mean, I feel the same way. Um, Another thing that I was sort of curious about is if you had any exposure or had done any research on poetry as the form of therapy. I know that's something that uh, some people have been looking into and there's some research going on. How How do you feel about that? Oh, I agree. It's really helpful. There's, There are like two lines of research. One is James Pennebaker, who basically discovered that if you write in a journal every day, that alone is going to help you. It improves your immune functioning. But I think beyond that, there's something special about the arts and creativity that writing poetry allows you to get into a totally different sense of what's happening to you or a way to relieve your or release your feelings that nothing else can really do. That can lead to emotional working through, but it's not the same as as seeing a therapist for problems relating to other people or intense anxiety. Poetry is probably not going to help with that, but I think it will help with some other things. Mm-hmm. So more as a form of like release or um, expression rather than a concrete form of actual therapy, like going to a therapist or a psychiatrist or something like that. Yeah, and I think Anne Sexton is probably the best example. She Mm -hmm. happened to be an exceptionally talented poet, but her first poem was written because her psychiatrist basically suggested it. 
And it is one of the best poems I've ever read. I think for her, I would bet that it helped her stay alive for decades um, because it gave her a way to express things. She had no other way to do it. But, you know, did it make her dating life or her her husband's or marriages last longer? Probably not. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, my last question for you is how do you feel like your poetry has changed over time? Since you've gone through the MFA program and as you've had more experiences, especially as a psychologist, do you think that's added to your poetry? Do you think it's changed the way you write it and approach the form, or do you feel like you've been pretty consistent? What I love about poetry is that you never get to the end of learning. (laughs) It's true. That's very true. So the poems that I wrote in grad school and after, I actually had a thematic focus for a while writing about Richmond, Virginia, and the South and all the complications really of racism and gender yeah, roles. Yeah. So the work that I'm writing now is entirely different in form. That's more lyrical and narrative. And like the poem H, that's playful. And so I, yeah. I probably write more playful poems now. Interesting. Yeah, that's really cool. I've always been curious, especially with people that have been in poetry for a long time, sort of how life experiences changes what you write about, changes what is important to you when you want to write and express those ideas. But thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. I I loved listening to your work. Thank you. It was a pleasure. This is Nikita Chintalapudi with Eye on the Triangle, and you've been listening to Poetry Corner. You are listening to Eye on the Triangle. After this quick break, we will be right back. Speed round. Name 10 things that aren't Jackie Chan. Uh, uh, local lunch, um, underground, uh, chainsaw, um, after hours, Jackie Chan? WKNC 88.1. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Double Barrel Benefit is about to be coming at you with a stellar lineup. In the left corner at King's Barcade on February 13th, we have Des Ark and Schooner with Museum Mouth and Naked Naps. And in the right corner at Cat's Cradle on February 20th, De Niro Farrar with Sky Blue and Earthly. It's going to be a stellar spectacle, so get your tickets now at wknc.org forward slash dbb13. Programming on 88.1 WKNC is supported by the Carolina Theater, presenting Vocalocity, the Perfect concert experience on Friday, February 26th. Concert tickets are available at Ticketmaster or at carolinatheater.org. The Carolina Theater is located on 309 West Morgan Street in Durham. More information about Vocalocity on February 26, as well as other Carolina Theater events, can be found on carolinatheater.org. WKNC would like to thank the Carolina Theater for their continued support. The Revolution. Hello and welcome. I'm Nick Weaver of Eye on the Triangle, and you are listening to the Modest Mouth Review. No need for theatrics today. I'll go ahead and spit it out. Today's album on the chopping block is Holding On, Holding Out by Tall Heights, also known as Gripping and Waiting by Redundant Description. That was a joke, just to be clear. People don't actually call it that as far as I know. They absolutely should, though. Back on target, the first question, as always, is 
Who are Tall Heights? From what I can gather, which as per the usual is very little seeing as indie rock bands don't typically have Wikipedia pages, Tall Heights are an indie folk duo hailing from Boston. They've been going since about the mid to late 2000s and have taken to experimentation for this album. Where their previous albums have been described as more country folk or just plain folk, Holding On Holding Out embraces the use of synth and clean ethereal electric guitar work to add new dimensions to their work. Of course, that's just what I was able to gather from their bio, so I don't particularly know what those past albums sounded like, but the description of their current album is definitely accurate. I mean, it should be. It was in my own words, but still. Anyways, Holding On Holding Out appears to have come out in the last year. I wasn't able to pinpoint its exact release because it's not on their Bandcamp page, which is so dumb, by the way. But I know at the very least, it's their third album and it came out in 2015, so that's something. Now, with all that out of the way, what does the album sound like? Well, it's obviously heavy on the acoustic guitar and soft, consistent percussion work that we're all familiar with from most indie bands by now. The drums are simple but effective, and most songs are carried by a combination of the duo's harmonies and some simple but effective synth work. The picture conveyed by most every song on this album is that of a triumphant sunset in the mountains. There's a sense of longing and also contentedness that emanates from this album. Its lyrics very clearly draw from the emotions involved in a romantic affair, ranging from infatuation to the remaining spark after a breakup. While these are very familiar themes in songwriting, I find it refreshing to see them so maturely and poetically handled. It's one thing to hear Tom DeLonge sing about all his small things, it's another to compare a kindled love to a lost object of immense value passed down from generation to generation, as heard in the song Heirloom. That song, by the way, is easily my favorite off the album. I feel like it's actually just a bonus track that comes with the CD, but the unplugged acoustic sound of this track is incomparable to any other, and the sheer delicacy and complexity of the vocals and lyrics make this track incredibly memorable. There's also the fact that it's a lower fidelity recording, probably recorded in a garage or home studio, which makes it even more charming. So, to say it in short, this album is really, really pretty, and I think it has a certain uniqueness to it, which, though subtle, helps it to stand out from the plethora of other albums like it. Of course, no album is perfect, and there are certainly some places for improvement. While I applaud the unique lyricism and blend of synth and acoustic indie stylings, the band still has a ways to go in terms of originality. Typically, I try to avoid comparing bands to other bands in these reviews because it's not particularly helpful, but in this case, I have to say that Tall Heights is far too easily described as a fusion of Mumford & Sons and Bon Iver. Oh, Bon Iver, excuse me. Don't get me wrong, Tall Heights definitely has their own little spin on the genre hidden in there somewhere, but they're still too derivative of that all-too-familiar mainstream folk-pop sound. It's fine to emulate that to a certain extent, but to really solidify themselves as a competitor in the indie folk genre, Tall Heights is going to have to come into their own in a major way. Aside from that, it's a pleasing album. Nothing groundbreaking, certainly, but it's got quality, and it effectively creates a certain atmosphere. I feel like that's a pretty good qualifier for an album to pass as at least good, if not pretty good. If every song on this album were like Heirloom, I might even go so far as to call it great. But it's not, and therefore the album will just have to remain good. In the future, I'd like to see Tall Heights explore more complex rhythms and non-standard chord progressions. Both of those options could add a needed aspect of differentiation to Tall Heights' sound, and would make it way easier for me to enjoy it at the very least. For my final rating on a scale of negative 2 to 7, I give this album a 3. Above average, below brilliance. But hey, that's just how it goes sometimes. And after all, being above average is a feat in and of itself. Would I recommend this album? Sure, give it a shot. 
If you're into that indie folk or light indie rock kind of sound, this album may tickle your fancy. If not, well, it's up to you. I'm not your dad. Anyways, the album, once again, is Holding On, Holding Out by Tall Heights. That's all for today. I've been Nick, though I'm also known as Linz, Plesk, Meerkat, or just that dude who can't dress himself properly in public. I'm less fond of that last one. As always, you can send in a review request by emailing publicaffairs at wknc.org or by tweeting at wknc underscore EOT. Thanks again for listening in, and I'll speak to you all again next time. This is Jake Winters for Eye on the Triangle. This is Snowverated, and this week I will be taking a look at the film The Survivalist. This film is one of the most tense that I've ever seen. From the moment you begin watching it until the screen fades to black, every moment is filled with suspense and uncertainty. The story is set in Northern Ireland after a food shortage has left the country in an apocalyptic state. It follows one man, known as The Survivalist, as he survives attacks and takes in two traveling women. The movie gets straight to the reality of the situation. He is surviving, he never lets his guard down, and this leaves the audience with theirs up for the whole movie. Every situation is life or death in this story, and with that, trust is out the window. The filming of the movie and setting choice is spectacular. The surroundings in the movie are vibrant and green, seeming as though they would be plentiful with food, but surviving in the wild is never easy, even if you are in the middle of a forest that is full of life. The shots of him farming and taking care of his shelter are interesting at the beginning of the film. They set the setting and tone for the whole movie. They create suspense because you are just wondering what is going to happen to make this situation intensify as every movie always does. It's a clever use of the viewer's expectations. The back and forth of trust in the movie is also done extremely well. It's impossible to know when someone will turn on the other. What is being planned by any of the characters could be anything. This very basic human response to survival is so well shown in the movie that you can almost predict what is going to happen. If you put yourself into their situation, you know what the logical choices are, even if they are tough choices. When the characters are put face to face with these choices, we get a grim view of the struggle to survive in a food shortage. They are faced with the choices on whether to repopulate or not, and obviously if you are struggling to survive on your own, you don't want to add another mouth to the equation. But what happens if everybody decides this? The human race will eventually die out. The scenario provides a lot of interesting questions that I could go on and on about, but it is suffice to say that the writers did a great job of placing the characters into a very rough and challenging environment. The acting in this movie all around can be said to be good, but not spectacular. There are parts that I feel are lacking in emotion, but who's to say that the characters are not in just some state of shock where they have some smaller amount of emotion, or at least visible emotion. The young girl in particular is who I'm talking about when I talk about lack of emotion. It feels like she has one facial expression throughout the entire film. The character may have experienced some amount of trauma during the fall of civilization, leaving her numb to the world, but this is never explained. On the topic of characterization, one of the more notable traits that all of the characters have in common is this lack of hope. 
It's easy to see that almost all trust in the common man is lost. There were probably huge fights over food, and seeing these fights leads to a loss of faith in humanity. Each character is trying to survive for themselves and no one else. The film shows us so much backstory and just the characters' actions. The writers of this film may have been building upon the set archetype of the desperate survivor, but in doing so they unleashed a common backstory that comes with the archetype. I feel like if this was unintentional it was a very happy accident, but more likely though it was a thought out plan. At one point the survivalist says he has been there for 7 years, which is staggering considering the situation he is in. So we can see that he has been there for long enough to know what to expect from surviving in the woods by himself. And with this knowledge we can also see that mistrusting people is probably the best option. This bleak truth is what the film is centered around. I feel like the story was very plausible, and that is what makes the situation even scarier. If there are a large food famine in any country at this point in history, all kinds of mayhem would ensue, and it would definitely take more than a few years for society to ever become civilized again. This in-between period that the film is thrown into is a very interesting point. It is right between new governments taking hold and small raiders roaming the land. There is still essentially anarchy ruling the area at this point. The film maintained a level of intensity throughout on multiple different levels. There were schemes and backstories and overall a great setting. I enjoyed seeing the survivalist struggle against nature and man. I will say that some of the movie is graphic though. If it had a rating in the US, it would definitely be R, so just keep that in mind. I'm going to give this movie an 8 out of 10. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Snowverated and Eye on the Triangle. I hope you enjoy this film and if you have any comments on it, Feel free to send an email to publicaffairs at wknc.org. That's it for this review. Have a good night. Good afternoon to you listeners out there. This is the Community Calendar, an Eye on the Triangle segment informing you of cool events occurring on campus or around the Raleigh-Durham area for the upcoming week. So first up on the lineup is an event hosted by the LGBT Center. The event is called Out in the Night Film Screening and Discussion. You may join the GLBT Center for a screening of Out in the Night this Thursday, February 18th, 2016 at 6 p.m. in Tally, room 3222. Out in the Night is a film by Blair Dorish Walther and is a documentary following a group of African-American lesbians who defended themselves against a homophobic attack in August of 2006. The film Out in the Night has won numerous awards and was featured in the 28th season of POV on PBS. The Coffee and Viz lecture series is going to be having another event this Friday in the Hunt Library. This week's event is titled Network Visualization Lightning Talks. To describe this event some more, researchers from North Carolina State and the Friday Institute for Educational Innovation will discuss networking analysis and visualization across the variety of disciplines including education, sociology, and linguistics. Dr. Sean Kellogg and Dr. Lauren Bryant, both research scholars at the Friday Institute, will describe how they applied social network analysis and visualizations to study the impact of social network structures on the ultimate success of both online communities of practice and large multi-institutional project teams. Dr. Steve McDonald, Associate Professor of Sociology at NC State, will show network visualization techniques used in his research on job mobility and labor market contacts. Dr. Robin Dotsworth, Associate Professor of Linguistics at NC State, will discuss 
discuss her use of social network analysis and visualizations to research community network structures and their correlation with linguistic variation. Again, these Coffee and Viz lecture series take place in Hunt Library on Fridays from 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. in the Duke Energy Hall. Coffee and light refreshments will be available in a nearby space at 9.15 and the program will begin at 9.30. This event is open to the public. So looking on to this weekend, there will be an event called Blacks in Wax Live Museum. At Witherspoon Student Center, you may watch history come to life as the AACC family portrays great people in African American history for the community's education and entertainment. This event will be from 9 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon Saturday in Witherspoon Hall. Later on that Saturday evening in the Stewart Theater Tally Student Union, there will be the Yamato Drummers of Japan. Here, the young men and women of Yamato turn the ancient Japanese art of taiko drumming into a heart-pounding spectacle of athleticism, precision, and exhilarating musical experience. The group's newest show, Bakion, Legend of the Heartbeat, is ripe with thundering rhythm and jaw-dropping skill. Arrive early for the pre-show discussion of the percussionist Rich Holly, the executive director of the arts at NC State. 7 p.m., room 3285, Tally Student Union. The tickets for this show may be purchased online or by phone at 919-515-1100. The tickets will be $36 to $40. However, NC State students get these tickets for $9. The Yamato Drummers of Japan event will be this Saturday in the Stewart Theater Tally Student Union at 8 p.m. Next Tuesday will be a Global Issues Seminar on Immigration. For the 16th year, NC State will participate in the Great Decisions Program during the spring 2016 semester. Developed by the Foreign Policy Association in 1954, Great Decisions brings millions of Americans together in communities across the country to explore current foreign policy issues. The program showcases what NC State is contributing in terms of teaching, research, extension, and engagement in each of these internationally pressing foreign policy issues. It is hosted by the School of Public and International Affairs in conjunction with the Global Issues Seminar sponsored by the Office of International Affairs. This week's Global Issues Seminar will be Tuesday, February 23rd from 6 to 7 p.m. in Withers 232A. This event is open to the public. I certainly hope some of these events have caught your attention this upcoming week. If there's any events you would like to hear on the radio to promote, feel free to send us a quick description to publicaffairs at wknc.org. Eye on the Triangle does have a Twitter and Tumblr, and you may follow them at wknc-eot.tumblr.com. And with that, I conclude this week's community calendar. I'm Peter Suzani, wishing you all a great week ahead. I'm Mirtha Donestorg, and you're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC-FM Raleigh. The North Carolina GOP has just released a new congressional districts map, according to WRAL. The committee redrawing the maps only used population data and the results from the past eight years of state elections. They are not using racial data. The court-mandated deadline for the new maps is this Friday. And actually, on Monday, I spent my snow day streaming the live audio of the public hearing on the new districts because I'm a nerd. Ian, are you trying to get any public comments about one of your ideas? Well, my staff thinks I should read more, uh, well, I should read memes on air. If you think I should uh, read them, send your requests by tweet at WKNC underscore EOT. I don't 
think you should read memes on air. So if you think he shouldn't, tweet us at WKNC underscore EOT. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Starting immediately, two hours of Ian reading memes live on air. We'd like to thank Michael Ashburn, Jake Winters, Nikita Chintalaputi, Marissa Jordan, Cameron Dolacek, Peter Svizeni, Kevin Kronk, and Jamie Alla for, in- for contributing. And Nick Weaver. Thank you, Nick. As always. <laughs> As always, if you've heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. And be sure to check out our blog and podcast at WKNC-EOT.tumblr.com. You can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle next week right here on WKNC. And up next, Daytime Indie Rock with our second favorite DJ, Dad, is up next at 5, of course. And you can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle, as he said, right here next week on WKNC. And buy your tickets to Double Barrel 1-3. You'll see me, Nick. You'll see me. Nick and Ian, but most importantly, you'll see great artists like the one that we're playing, De Niro Ferrar. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Ian Grice. I'm Yertha Donstorg. And I'm Nick Weaver. Making sure that y'all don't see a cap in the gown. Too many little tickets running around and face to face with the wild. And that's the end of the child universe. Gaxa is the god of the sound. From the planet of the nectar, on the sea in the owls. Wanna see your angel den? Let's walk a few miles with a sword. Halo in the crown, surround like root canal. In your mouth. Oak around, you get 40. Why? What the fuck is beat to a slaughterhouse? Got sticks down, knock your baby mama out. Scratch that. Knock Harry Potter out. Hit his head on Obama's couch. Near Obama's scout. Y'all sick is his sauerkraut. When the villain bring the choppers out. Then they call you out. Tell me what's that about. When you catch him, then you ash him out. Get the money, then I'm cashing out. Really, what is that about? What's that about? Mind the intense tips. Only shoot once is a hit. And if you shoot twice, it's a miss. I'm wicked bang bang. Oh, that let his brains hang. Oh, that let his brains hang. I ain't worried about shit. And I ain't worried about his shit. Let's just 36 souls in the key. Well, G niggas call me big bro, knowing goddamn well that they older than me. And I ain't worried about his shit. I ain't worried about his shit. Let's just 16 O's in the pine. New God blow. They hit us that new God blow. Y'all bitches looking better by dying. I ain't worried about his shit. 36 souls in the brick. 16 O's in the pine. AK for the cell with the red beam and the drum on the bitch. Hold 150 rounds. Gonna ride with the squad. You can die with your squad, trying to get locked with your squad. Young go G, and then I'm a young go G. Get toe tag, trying to play hard. Then it's money over poppers. My young nigga next peel poppers. All on ride with them choppers. Call a mortician, ain't no need for a doctor. Call a mortician, ain't no need for a doctor. Dead on arrival, yeah I say dead on arrival. Swear to God on a stack of Bibles. Headshot and we're gonna be no survival. Headshot and we're gonna be assuring no survival. Cold hard nigga, that's how they raise me. Kill or be killed, so you really can't blame me. Straight up out the gutter with a killing of the worst. Fuck around and get toe tat in front of your baby. Nigga, get fucked. Swear to God, nigga, get fucked. First time that it be a last, I ain't worried about this. I ain't worried about this. Send a murder gang, got your ass. I ain't worried about this. I ain't worried about this. Let's just 36 souls in the key. This one, he call me big bro, knowing goddamn well that they older than me. And I ain't worried about this. I ain't worried about this. Let's just 16 O's in the pine. New God blow. Nigga, this that new God blow. Y'all bitch, looking at a bad dime. I ain't worried about this.
Nigga, nigga, nigga.